Now let's talk about uh, losing the ranch. So yeah. your family, let's, well, talk about the Obama era program that, yeah. that caused this to happen, really a tragedy. Mm -hmm. it, it was crazy because, you know, we all we all saw the really the turning point after 9-11, you know, um, the economy taking the hit, you know, then the kind of us, you know, trudging through and things really took off. And I remember after the crash, I so I graduated in 06 mm -hmm. from high school as a point of reference. And, you know, at that point in time, you know, you're you're just you're in your college years, you're working, going to class. I was um, an athlete in college. And so I was really not in tune to all the things that were going on. Of course, when the crash comes and happens, everyone across not just the country, but the world is impacted and things get really bad. And I remember I was trying to help my mom make mortgage payments and I was seeing just how it Again, I watch my mom's truck. Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Well, welcome to another episode of American Potential. Thanks for being with us. We always like to have great policy champions on with us, and today is no exception. Today's guest learned the value of hard work from being a third generation commercial sandblaster, which was her family's business. And this is also where she saw how the government can affect a small business. She saw her mom pay her workers first, which meant sometimes there was nothing left for them. Her family ultimately lost the ranch they lived on due to an Obama era program. So when she was trying to figure out her next step, she had someone ask her, to get into politics by running a campaign. She'd never worked in politics before, before that time, but she figured why not give it a shot? She moved from Colorado to Florida. Now this journey's led her to being the deputy chief of staff for nearly a decade for Florida's third congressional district. And in 2020, she was elected as the representative for that district. In the 117th Congress, she was ranking member on the Homeland Security Committee and served on the House Agricultural Committee and now on the Energy and Commerce Committee. I want to welcome Congresswoman Kat Kamick to the show. Congresswoman, Thanks. how are you? I'm good. I might take you on the road with me. That's a great introduction. There you go. Well, that's good. <laughs> well, listen, I have to do it for a hometown friend of mine. I mean, we, we I guess, kind of grew up close to each other. It Absolutely. Like, right? Yep. You, Castle from Rock. From Colorado. You're from Castle Rock, kind of Castle Rock area. Yep. And I live in Colorado Springs. So tell us about your growing up there. Well, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, growing up, you know, in Colorado, you you basically are born skiing or snowboarding. Right. You know, um, uh, the thing that I appreciate now about our our dry heat, uh, you know, uh, as versus living in the south, <laughs> yes, right. uh, where humidity can basically kill anything, um, <laughs> you know, is you just you. You could style your hair and it would stay the same for a week. Um, no, it was a great, it was a great upbringing. You know, I grew up on a very small cow calf operation. Um, we had chickens and dogs and I was in 4-H and, you know, showed chickens yeah. in 4-H. Um, went to Douglas County High School and, you know, go Huskies. Um, it was great. But, you know, we were very blue collar working class. Yeah. Daughter of a single mom. Um, we had addiction issues in the family, um, alcoholism. And that was a strain. You know, and then, of course, watching my mom run our family business, which was commercial sandblasting, um, that was that was tough because, as you as you said, you know, 
when you're a small business owner, you do it all. Your sales, your marketing, your operations, you're the toilet bowl cleaner, right. you're the whole thing. And, you know, I started sweeping up the, you know, and mopping floors in our family business down in Denver as a kid. And uh, so I, I watched my mom really work hard and struggle. And I, I attribute my work ethic to her. That is something that I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. But I also witnessed firsthand without really knowing what was happening at the time, how big government is strangling the life out of our small businesses. Right. And, you know, I, uh, I didn't know my dad. And, and so it really was just my mom. She was mom and dad. And, you know, I would joke that, you know, I would see people from OSHA or EPA or the DOL or, you know, just right. these, these bureaucrats coming in and out. And they were always seemingly looking for a home for some ridiculous regulation, you know, and, mm -hmm. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And my mom growing up, she was more of, she was a registered Democrat, but always said, you know, I vote for the person, not for the right. party, sure. you know, and, and it was always about, you know, who she thought would do the better job. And so it wasn't a political household by any means. You know, we weren't politically connected. We weren't donating money to anybody, um, never went to rallies or did anything like that. Um, but we voted, you know, my mom voted. Sure. And then when I um, became of age to vote, I actually registered as an independent because I did not like the party fighting, mm -hmm. you know, the two, the Republicans sure. and Democrats. And so I ultimately was voting Republican my whole life. Um, but it was really interesting because I just started being conditioned from a very young age without the political labels yeah. of the dangers of big government and how it really will take away your dream, your livelihood, all the things that your family is trying to do. And, you know, whether you're Republican or Democrat, politically involved or not, like you are going to feel the wrath of big government in one way or another. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I was the first in my family to go to college, uh, Metro State, go Roadrunners. Beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, graduated, but I was actually in my, my last month of college when we got the call that we were losing our ranch. Yeah. And that was really hard. Cause at the time, you know, I was working multiple jobs, trying to graduate, trying to help my mom and then all hell breaks loose. And so that was, that was really the beginning yeah. of my political journey. And I want to talk about that, but before we get to losing the ranch, I want to I want to remind folks, first of all, a lot of people think that members of Congress all come from the Rockefeller clan or <laughs> something like that, right? And some do, right? Some That's do. definitely true. You know, but I think people can see from you that, you know, that's the American dream. Like yeah. you probably growing up when you were the mutton busting champion for the state yes. of Colorado at yes. age six. Yes. Right? That's pretty cool. <laughs> did you think then? <laughs> did you think then that you would be um, ever be a member of Congress? Oh gosh, no, no. You know, um, actually, my dream as a kid was um, I wanted to be a CEO. I wanted to be in business like my mom. Right. And I'll never forget one Christmas. Um, I got this business kit. Yeah. And it was a purple briefcase, and it had all kinds of you know fancy papers in it. Right. And I called my business the Great Big Company, <laughs> and I would go around and I would. Um, it was probably stealing looking back. Um, but at Maybe. the time I was borrowing, you know, like my mom's clothes and things sure. around the house, I would collect them, you know, and then yeah. they would be looking for them. And I'd be like, you know, I have a store <laughs> <laughs> and I would sell them back yeah. to them. And, you know, so that was my dream. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to be in business and 
it it's it's tough looking back now because I at the time again you're not politically engaged in that way as a kid and you know your family's not politically engaged and all you see are the, are the struggles yeah you know and the frustrations and you start to ask yourself why and yeah yeah it's it's pretty crazy because I tell people all the time you know I uh, I don't see people like me in Congress yeah and people like me traditionally have never made it to Congress that's the American dream right yeah. there you know being yeah. able to come from absolutely nowhere, you know, no political connections, no money, none right. of that. And you can, you can do something yeah. pretty interesting. Well, and, and I impactful. hope, I hope there's a six year old girl somewhere, mutton busting champion of absolutely. Colorado or Wyoming or wherever <laughs> who looks at this story and, and that's an inspiration. So you I are an so. inspiration, hopefully to young girls, young I boys so. everywhere yeah. to, to see that they can do this too. Well, and for all the folks that are listening and watching right now, mutton busting, cause this is always the follow-up question. Okay. What is mutton busting? <laughs> okay. What is mutton busting? I'll, I'll set you up. Um, back in my day, wow, that really, you know, <laughs> they didn't, we didn't have you're, safety measures. You're supposed to say, back in my day. I know, back in my day, when we walked to school and ate eight miles barefoot. Um, no, when, uh, when I was mutton busting, um, no helmets, like no safety gear, you know, right. you wore your cute little uh, Western shirt with your jeans, your belt buckle, <laughs> and I'll never forget my mom. Um, we, we were like Goodwill, you know, thrifters and stuff like that. And so I had like this, you know, this little cowboy shirt that was too big for me. It was a boy's shirt. And, um, they put me on the devil sheep. This thing was insane. You ride sheep. Basically you put <laughs> yes, little kids yeah. on top of sheep. You put them in, in the, in the shoot, the, the bucking shoot, and they just let you run. And then if the sheep don't move, then the cat, the clowns, they chase you to get them going. Yes. And you just hold on for dear life. And I'll never forget. I got the and it was pissed. It was so <laughs> mad. And my, it was legitimately like fussing and doing all kinds of stuff in the shoot. And my mom looks at me and I was so excited. I was like, this is going to be so much fun. <laughs> and I did. I held on. And uh, I had I had a very, very storied but short mutton busting career. I think it lasted all of a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, all right. Now let's talk about uh, losing the ranch. So yeah. your family, let's... Well, talk about the Obama era program that, yeah. that caused this to happen. Really a tragedy. Mm -hmm. It it was crazy because, you know, we all we all saw the really the turning point after 9-11, you know, um, the economy taking the hit, you know, then the kind of us, you know, trudging through and things really took off. And I remember after the crash, I so I graduated in 06 mm -hmm. from high school as a point of reference. And, you know, at that point in time, you know, you're, you're just, you're in your college years, you're working, going right. to class. I was, um, an athlete in college. And so I was really not in tune to all the things that were going on. Of course, when the crash comes and happens, everyone across, not just the country, but the world is impacted and things get really bad. And I remember I was trying to help my mom make mortgage payments and I was seeing just how it, because again, I watched my mom struggle really our whole lives. You know, she yeah. would pay everybody before she pay herself. And, you know, that's, that's something that every business owner knows. I right. really feel that that's something that they know. Sure. They're the last ones to get paid. Um, so we weren't special in that regard, but when the crash happened, we had a, a mortgage that I think was maybe 1700 bucks a month. I think mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember back. And there were all these advertisements, letters in the mail coming, all these things saying, you know, there's no government program out there that's been passed. You refinance and you'll lower your mortgage payment and you'll lower your rate. And I don't even think our rate was terrible at the time. 
Um, but it was just one of those things that was really being pushed. And, you know, you're seeing it on the news. And so my mom, she's like, you know, I think we should refinance. Little did we know, little did we know that the bill, the program that Obama and Congress had passed was really quite the dirty deed that both Republicans and Democrats had done together. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the way the bill was written, you know, passed in the dead of night, was it incentivized the banks to get people into refinancing their loans. Um, there was no real criteria whatsoever. The bank became judge and jury on whether a loan could be deemed savable. That was the word. Mm. And there was, again, no real criteria surrounding it. And so if the bank determined that the loan was unsavable, despite whether you had made every payment in the book, if you had missed, whatever, they were, they had final say. The federal government would give a tax credit to the bank for the loan. Wow. And so it doesn't take a genius to realize that at that point, bankers all around the country, you know, and especially the big guys, they were saying, well, why the heck would we wait 30 years to collect interest on the loan when we can collect it up front? Yeah. Incredible. So, yeah. It became this giant, essentially Ponzi scheme where they were instituting processes within every brokerage and, and bank where, oh, you have to email this paperwork. This one has to be faxed. This has to be, the, oh, you didn't check that box. That's not a savable loan. And they were pushing people out of their homes. And in our case, my mom got a phone call from the people who ended up purchasing our property. And it was their major company. And um, they said, you know, we're I'm the lawyer for this corporation who has purchased your property and you've got 23 days to evict. And we're like, well, what? We hadn't, hadn't gotten that notice yet. And yeah. so what every good millennial does when they don't know something is they Google <laughs> right? You right. Google it. And um, so I started Googling and doing homework, like how the heck, you know, at that time it was just a scramble mode. We packed everything we owned into horse trailers. Um, I remember the first night leaving cause they were going to chain the gates on, we had two cattle guards wow. leading into the property and they were going to, they were going to at midnight chain them shut. And I remember I packed my uh, car, my Nissan Maxima, uh, Filled to the brim. I literally had like a cat and a dog in there with me. We had um, neighbors, thankfully, that had taken our cows and our horses. Um, you know, we were doing everything we could. And we left a lot of stuff behind just because we couldn't take it all. We had nowhere to go. Wow. And I remember that first night I had enough money for uh, a room at the La Quinta off I-25. Wow. Um, and I'm thinking it's probably like city center, yeah. like just North of Centennial. Sure. Yeah. Um, not, not the, at the time not it wasn't great. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. the greatest. Um, but I remember that. And then my mom, she just sunk into a giant depression as you yeah, can imagine, sure. you know? And, um, the company ultimately went and bulldozed our house and our barn. Oh, I'll get emotional thinking about it. Oof. Oh yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. Uh, and so you had to rebuild after that. Yeah, you know, it was it was crazy because when doing all the research and talking to people, Tom Martino, actually, you know Tom yeah, Martino. Tom Martino. On the, yeah, on the radio. Yeah. Um, he was talking about this and I kept hearing the word HAMP. HAMP, that was the program, HAMP. And it was Obama's signature housing initiative that was supposed to keep people in their homes. Well, clearly it was being abused. And as I'm hearing stories from other families around the country, I'm reading articles and people are in the exact same boat as us. Yeah. They lost their home. They, they're kind of like, what the heck? Um, they'd worked their whole lives. Um, and ultimately what ended up happening, there were millions, millions. I've heard estimates upwards of 6 million people, 6 million families that lost their home. Wow. 
under this program. Um, I still, to this day, get messages from people who have heard my story and say, you know, we've never recovered. Same thing. We lost our home. Right. And a judge in one of the New York circuits, there was a big class action lawsuit. We weren't a part of it, but um, he ended up ruling in favor of the plaintiffs. And he said, this is the greatest piece of legislative malpractice I've ever seen in my life. And what really stung me wasn't just that this had been done by, you know, Washington, you know, a bunch of, in my mind, elites in Capitol Hill had yeah. done something horrible that impacted so many families around the country. There was no repercussions, but not one of them. And not one of them up until that point had said anything about this program. It was like the thing that was happening that no one was talking about. And I'll never forget in all of my research and all my things that I was trying to get around my head wrapped around, there was one member of Congress, Patrick McHenry, um, from North Carolina. Okay. And he had a press release that talked about how bad and dangerous this program was. And I didn't know him from Adam's house cat. I didn't know who this guy was, mm -hmm. but he was the only member of Congress in the midst of us then subsequently being homeless, you know, living in an extended stay motel in downtown Denver. Yeah. Not, not great by the way. <laughs> Do not recommend. Um, he was the only member of Congress that I ever heard talking about. Yeah. It. And so, Fast forward, I get elected and he reaches out. He calls me, you know, to congratulate me. And I said, you don't know me uh, and I don't know you. And I'm looking forward to working with you. But I have to say thank you. And he said, for what? And I said, you were the only member of Congress who at one of the worst times of my life, you were talking about the thing that was making my life miserable. Mm. And he, he said, well, what was it? And I said, it was hemp. And he said, oh my gosh. And he starts raging about this. And I was like, okay, the man knew he was trying, yeah. you know, bless him. He was just sure. kind of like the lone wolf who was trying to yeah. take this on. Yeah. Yeah. I can still see the emotion as Ooh. you're talking about it. And yeah. it, I mean, that's a life changing event. I know. Tell me a joke. Change the uh, subject. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we will. Well, I mean, this is the problem. And we talk about this on this show all the time is government imposed barriers to people's success. Ooh, yeah. And yeah. here you have your mother. It's a success. You're running a successful business. Semi-successful. Yeah. It's, it's a struggle. It's yeah. a struggle. Well, sure. It's always, it, yeah. it is, but Gover a government creates this barrier, yeah. this program that literally had, had it not happened, you wouldn't have lost this branch, no. right? I, and I, you know, it's funny because I wouldn't be in Congress. You know, I would have taken over the family business. I yeah. would have, you know, that was the dream. That was always the goal. I sure. mean, heck, even after college, I was looking at getting into the oil and gas industry. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because so many people have taken tragedies and made something good out of them. Yeah. So- yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we're diverting from what we really wanted to talk about, but I do have to say, I mean, I think every American yeah. faces a moment like that, right? Where they oh, yeah. can either get bitter and get, you know, lose it or whatever. But I, yeah. I'm a believer that, you know, God kind of puts you on whatever path he wants you on. Yeah. And that's kind of the path you went on. And at yeah. the end of the day, it turned out pretty well for you, I think. I think so. Well, and to be able to give a voice to people who yeah. they went through something similar. Yeah. That's been really, that's been a driver, but also as a result of what happened under that legislation, I read every bill now and we have seen not just under this program, but so many others where something gets snuck in mm -hmm. something that is tremendously profound on an industry, on a group of, you know, Americans and organization, whatever. And it's because people don't take the time to read the bill. Sure. And that was one of the biggest frustrations that I heard uh, both as a deputy chief, but as a, as a candidate. Mm -hmm. And now again, as a member, 
we don't have single issue bills. No one reads the bills. Right. And there's a tremendous frustration from people of, you don't have time to read the bill. They throw a 2000 page bill at you and here, right. we're going to vote on this tomorrow morning and it's 11 o'clock <clears throat> at night. Right. And so I know that that's a huge frustration. And my, my personal experience has really been foundational in, Hey team, you know, if, if we get the bill at 11 o'clock at night and I'm supposed to vote on it at eight in the morning, I'm going to vote. No, I don't care. I don't care what's in it. I have to be able to read that yeah. bill. And if I can't, and I'm a voracious reader, I'm very fast, but even I can't read 2000 pages right. in right. one night. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's, it's silly that in a time like this, we, we are still playing the games Yeah. and the stakes are incredibly high. I think that's what frustrates Americans too. And, yeah. You know, I mean, the old saying, Nancy Pelosi, we have to pass the bill, then we can find out what's in it. Oh, I mean, the, 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 but that kind mm. of statement is just so absurd to most Americans yeah. who say, you know, how about you do your job? We elect you to go read bills 100%. and know what's in them and then vote yes or no exactly. on those. Um, so kudos to you for bringing some common sense back to that process and, and do that. Yeah. Well, common uh, sense isn't common, as you I, know. I'm, I know. I'm aware you of that. You know that. <laughs> One of the things, and, and I want to talk about this, and I really want to get to the Reigns Act, which, uh, yeah. which you, you're, you're so great on, um, is we need to return to regular order in yeah. the House, right? It seems like we're getting, you know, we're always the guns held to the head of Congress, like government's going to shut down if we don't pass this bill. And yep. then every member just throws what they want in. Yep. And it's total chaos. Yep. And I believe that, People who believe in big government intentionally led us to this point, right? 100%. Where, you know, we can have this Christmas tree bill where everybody just gets something and they all have to vote for it. Mm -hmm. How do we get back to where we're passing the 13 regular appropriations bills in regular order, getting Congress back to doing its job? Um, you know, I have, I have literally laid in bed at night thinking about how right. we do this. Yeah. Um, because, most people would say, you know, we need balanced budget amendment. Yes, we do. Um, we need 72 hours to read the bill. I would argue even longer, truthfully, um, right. because, again, the implications of what we're doing in Washington are so far reaching that you need to really socialize it with people that aren't on Capitol Hill, truthfully. Um, I subscribe to the theory that you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's actually been a a policy in our office, you know, I'll pick up a phone and, you know, we're voting on an energy bill, I'll call a bunch of folks that I know in the energy industry. How's this going to impact you? How's it going to impact you? How's this going to, and the feedback is always different than what I think is going to come back. Mm -hmm. And so one, yeah, you need more time. Then of course, single subject. Right. Right. And I think earmarks is another component to all this, right? Sure. So earmarks traditionally had been used by, um, oh, by leadership to kind of wrangle their members, right? It was their way to kind of keep sure. everybody in line. And the argument that I've heard over and over is, well, Congress, which absolutely under Article 1, has control of the purse strings and needs to direct where the people's money is going, right? But the, the gradual seeding of authority from the legislative branch to the executive branch, and this has been decades in the making, mm -hmm. Um, it has now gone to, okay, we pass, we don't even pass a budget anymore. That's not even, we've really gone downhill folks. Yeah, right. Um, you know, we, we do a continuing resolution with a top line number and then the administration just kind of works it out. Right. And so people have said, you know, I want my earmarks because I can spend the money better than the administration. Well, 
The thing that I absolutely despise about that is because when my colleagues, Republicans, say, I'm all for earmarks because I can do better than Joe Biden, I follow up with, okay, are you going to have that same policy when there's a Republican president? Right. And they, ha- they don't have an answer. You can't have it both ways. And I think the double set of standards, the hypocrisy in mm-hmm. Washington right. is one of the driving frustrations for the American people. And so in talking about how we get back to regular order, I think it is more than just establishing rules of time to read the bill, balanced budget amendment, single subject, uh, you know, things like that. I think it's bigger than that. I think it is getting the American people back into a civically engaged mindset Mm -hmm. where they hold those members accountable because through the, uh, you could go on the street and say to any, anyone on the sidewalk, you know, tell me what a CR is. And I'd be like, I don't know. Most members don't even know what a CR is. Um, They don't know what an omnibus is. They don't know what a cromnibus is. They don't, uh, you know, how many people have said, dang it, why aren't you arresting this person? You know, why can't you hold them accountable? It's, because we have gotten so far away from basic civics and understanding the process that that cloudiness, that murkiness that exists in the everyday minds of Americans, and it's not their fault. It's, you know, you're, you're dealing with work and family and you're just trying to live your life, you know, yeah. like you did your part, you voted and you, you wanted to send somebody who was going to do a good job. Well, you know, good government requires eternal vigilance. <laughs> And so I think the answer is not just to transform the way that Washington is, but we have to protect the institutions that have given us the structure and the three branches and really adhere to the Constitution. And I will say, I hear all the time from people, well, I like this part, but I don't like that part. Or I'll advocate for that part, but I'm not going to be on that part. And I, I have said this at length. The Constitution is not a la carte. You don't get to pick and choose. Sure what you uphold from one day to the next. When you put your hand on the Bible and you take the oath, you take it all. It's an all or nothing. And so my goal is to really educate people about the process because we don't get the government that we want. We get the government that we deserve. And if people are going to stay on the sidelines and moan and complain, but not call their senators, call their members of Congress, engage, then we're going to get people who continue to ignore the American people. They're going to, they're going to do what they want to do. And what they're incentivized to do. Yeah. And if the general electorate is not engaging with their member, what is the incentive for that member to listen mm-hmm. to them? So that's really where I, I have come to the conclusion <laughs> all three years in Congress <laughs> that I have spent yeah. that the way back is through the people. I really have a belief in the concept of we the people. Yeah. I think we have far greater power than we realize and we just have to exercise it. And yeah. my goal is to help people understand how to do that. So, and hence your affiliation with a group like Americans for Prosperity, yeah. <laughs> right? That is a <laughs> exactly. grassroots organization that yep. tries to help connect yeah. citizens with their government and mm-hmm. help them understand that our, our founders intended us to have limited government. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so important. You know, one of the biggest dangers, man, we're so far off topic where we were going to go. We were going to talk about the RAINS Act. We are going to talk about that. We are going to talk about it because it's very important. I promise. I promise. (laughs) But, you know, there are so many people these days, and I guess it's always been this way, and it drives me crazy when I hear someone say, they're all crooks. They're all evil. They're all that. To me, that's that's giving up on America, right? That is literally giving up on America. Mm -hmm. Sure, there's some crooks. Oh, yeah. And the media is going to focus on the one or 
two or three that are crooks, right? Yeah. They're going to tell those stories. They're not going to tell the stories of, you know, the hero, or they're not going to tell your story, the story you just told, right, of an average ordinary citizen who said, you know what, enough's enough, and ended up running for Congress and getting mm -hmm. elected. They're not, the media is not going to highlight that story. But we can't have people give up on the system and say, well, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to pay attention to mm -hmm. it. We're $34 trillion in debt. Yep. People have to pay attention mm -hmm. if they care and love their country. It's an existential threat. Right. Uh, you know, and I, I tell people, you know, when I was on the campaign trail, you know, it was, it was always a bit of a ding being the, the young one in the race. Uh -huh. I was, you know, I think 31 yeah. ish. I don't know. Um, but I was in a 12 way primary and I was the young one and I was the woman and everyone said, run on being young and run on being a woman. I said, absolutely not. I want people to vote for me because I'm the best person for the job, not right. because I check a certain box. Right. right. And they said, you know, well, what does that mean to you when you know, why are you in this fight then? And I said, because the decisions that are being made in Washington, D.C. are impacting my generation the most. My generation, the Gen Zs, we are going to shoulder the $34 trillion in right. debt. Our kids and our grandkids are going to shoulder that debt. And so it's very easy for people who, um, who don't have to live with the consequences of oh. it. You know, um, their children and their grandchildren will, but... You know, it's it's a tough thing because when people want to sit down and talk about government funding and government spending, everyone has their pet project, yeah. right? And no one wants to be the bad guy. And so you get every group under the sun that comes up and says, well, we really need that program. Right. We, do you hate the environment? Do you hate puppy dogs? You must hate children. <laughs> right. You know, and it's like yeah. everyone comes in. But we are living in a time where no one has taken a serious look at what we're spending and why we're spending. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I say often is we can cut, we can cap, but until we change the way that Washington does business, we'll just end right back up here. Yeah. And that's why the RAINS Act is so important. Yeah. And everything that I have done in my first and second term has been around the effort to address the administrative state, as mm -hmm. people kindly put it, but I call right. it the regulatory regime yeah. because it is a regime. It is the fourth branch of government that we never wanted. Right. <laughs> right. And, People don't realize the power that the nameless, faceless bureaucrats that dwell right. in basements all over Washington have. Right. Right. The the people who really have had no industry experience. They went from, you know, college to an internship in an agency, and then all of a sudden they're regulating an industry that they've never worked in. Sure. And it's dangerous because it takes away the voice of the people. Mm -hmm. Because you can't find these people, you can't fire these people. You can't hold them accountable in any other way than the power of the purse. Right. And that's why RAINS Act is so important. For folks wondering, RAINS is regulations in need of scrutiny. Um, that's what it stands for because it is all about returning accountability and transparency back to the American people and really empowering the voice through their representative. Yeah. You know, Congresswoman, you would be a good podcast host. Because this podcast host didn't actually get to the RAINS Act, which is what we were going to talk about. But you did. I'm See, your wing woman. I mean, why am I here? I can just walk out and you can interview yourself. You can no. ask the question. This is awesome. No, you're I'm trying great. to be a good I'm, wing woman. You are. You're doing awesome. That's so true. I do. Okay. Now we're on to the RAINS Act. We're on the RAINS Act. And how important that is. Yes. So there is, you talked about this group of faceless bureaucrats yeah. who really run the country. They Some of them have been there for decades. They've yeah. been in their jobs for decades yep. and they're making these decisions. 
that our founding fathers never intended them to make. Yes. Right? Our founding fathers intended that to be uh, Article One, the most important article of the Constitution itself, in strongest. my view. Right? The strongest. That's right? why it's number one. That's why it's number one. Um, the elected representatives. That's where they wanted the power to reside. They wanted yeah. you to be accountable as a yep. member of Congress. They wanted you to vote on whether or not they could ban stoves, gas stoves. They wanted you to vote on whether or not refrigerators should be, you know, taken away and we go back to the Stone Age or whatever the plan is here. Mm -hmm. um, those are the things our founders wanted, mm -hmm. but it's gotten so out of kilter. So talk about the RAINS Act and why you introduced it. So the RAINS Act, as, as I said, rain, you know, regulations in need of scrutiny. And the reason why it's so important is because today regulations control every aspect of our life. Uh, the, the hotel that we're currently in, right. um, they abide by an insane amount of regulations. Um, the, the microphone that was right in front of me was manufactured and probably cost twice the price that it should have because sure. of the manufacturing regulations. Because we all know that as regulations incur more costs in business and production, it doesn't get absorbed. It gets passed down to the consumer. So ultimately, the regulations are impacting your wallet as well as your lifestyle and your general economy, your community. Now, I'm not saying that we have to be anti-regulation across the board. There are some very good regulations that protect us and, you know, make sure that we drink, you know, clean water and, sure, you know, things like that. But when you have the Federal Register that dedicates an entire chapter to regulating the size of spaghetti, quite literally, the <laughs> diameter Really? Yes. If you put spaghetti <laughs> on a box and okay. it is not exactly 0.11, I think millimeters, uh, centimeters, um, metric system, Americans, yeah. we don't We're do Americans. it. We're yeah, Americans. Thank don't. you. Um, <laughs> if you don't have it exact, it's a fine. It is, it is a federal crime. For manufacturers of spaghetti. Yes. Yes. There's a whole chapter dedicated to regulating the diameter of spaghetti. Okay. I mean, and that's just a silly one, but I mean, you think about the impact on industry as a whole. So I'll just, I'll use the ATF, for example. The last decade, the ATF, um, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Agency, they have said that accessories are not under their purview to regulate. Well, we all have been very, you know, uh, keenly aware of the pistol brace issue, yeah. where a lot of disabled veterans yeah. um, who want to go out and exercise their Second Amendment rights, they use a pistol brace. I've used a pistol brace. It's a great stabilizer, um, but it is an accessory. It's literally, you can, you can 3D print them. They're, some of them are rubber and it's like Velcro straps. It's just mm -hmm. a, you know, it, it's something very basic. It is not a weapon in itself. Well, the ATF under Joe Biden's administration comes out and says, you have to register that and we'll waive the $250 registration fee in this time, time block. But you need to have a serial number. You need to register it. And if you don't, it's a felony. Incredible. And so I went to several of my um, local firearms um, folks and started doing my homework. And really, we we worked with different organizations, cooked up an economic impact report on what this is going to do in terms of just the pistol braces on the firearms industry. It is a six billion dollar hit to the to the two A community. Yeah. Not only that, but it, overnight, if you didn't register and put a get send your back your your pistol brace back to the manufacturer where they serial put a serial number on it and register it and do that whole thing, you were made to be a felon overnight. No due process. 
And so you take the economic hit of, you know, $6 billion plus, plus the the constitutional concerns. Sure. And that was all done with the stroke of a pen through the regulatory That's process. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Then, of course, you know, look at WOTUS, Waters of the U.S., another major regulation where it basically defines any area as seasonably wet. And again, I'm in Florida. We get 58 to 62 inches of rain on average. Right. My, my front yard is seasonably wet <laughs> year round, you know. Um, they said any area that is seasonably wet is subject to the Army Corps of Engineers jurisdiction because that is now navigable. Na my, yeah. I will tell you, my front yard is not navigable. <laughs> it is not navigable. Right. And the impact that people say, oh, well, that's just ridiculous. You know? Like no one's actually going to, that's not going to impact anything. Think about the development that was hampered as a result. Um, agriculture, putting up a fence, fixing a fence all of a sudden became almost like a federal crime yeah. because you would be in violation of WOTUS. So it didn't matter if you were in uh, construction, if you were in agriculture, hospitality, every single industry was impacted by the regulation that we all know as WOTUS. I looked at a map once and Iowa would have completely been under the jurisdiction of the Army Corps. And anyone who has ever had to deal with the Army Corps of Engineers, God bless you. I'll say a prayer for you. <laughs> it is one of the most onerous processes that you can go through um, and expensive too. And so it's just people don't realize how everything in their life from the coffee that they drink, the car that they drive, the roads that they're driving on, the schools that they send their kids to, all these regulations are contributing to more and more red tape. And they're effectively taking away your voice because as it stands, the administration had, there's, we have one tool in the toolbox, a CRA, and it really is just a, it's hardly ever exercised effectively um, or used. Mm -hmm. So we have no way to get these bureaucrats other than to defund their departments. Right. What we want to do and what RAINS does is it takes any regulation that has a hundred million dollars of industry impact or more, and it has to come back to Congress for an up or down vote. That's putting the power back in the people's hands because you're a member of Congress, you can fire. I call them Congress critters. We're all Congress critters. <laughs> um, you can fire them. Right. You can call them up and you can yell at them. You can bless them. Um, you can do all those things. You can't do that to a bureaucrat. And so it should be your representative yeah. saying yay or nay to something like that, right? right? Yeah, it should yeah. be. So, you know, Article 1 lays out the responsibilities yeah. of the legislative branch. Will will the courts help us in this area? Because oh, yeah. obviously we need the Supreme Court and the and the federal court system mm -hmm. to kind of rein back what has happened in the executive branch. Mm -hmm. But it, as the courts do it, so too does Congress. Congress yes. needs to go in and grab some of their authority back. This balancing act is what our founders devised, right? When they mm -hmm. devised this wonderful constitution of ours. Uh, any thoughts on what the court might do in, in this session or future sessions to help in that regard? Well, and of course, you know, the West Virginia case that we saw last year, that was big. The EPA case. Yeah, the yeah. EPA case, you know, and Chevron. Everyone's talking about that right now because that really is laying out what is going to essentially be the building blocks. We have the case with the fishermen, right? And yeah. and that regulation. I, I My personal instinct is that the Supreme Court will rule in favor of Article One authority. And they will say that the executive branch does not have the authority to regulate in this way. Because what we've seen, and, and some people have, have said that this is a, a stretch too far, I don't think so. We have witnessed a growing imperial presidency, mm -hmm. right? Where 
the White House, the the president wants to be the the legislator, you know, write the laws, mm-hmm. want to execute the laws, but then also be judge and jury yeah. of them. And, and we see that whether it's a Republican or a Democrat 100%. president. Right? This is I am an equal opportunity offender right. in this regard. <laughs> yeah. um, so Republicans and Democrats have been equally guilty of this. So, yes, I think the Supreme Court and just knowing what I have read and people have spoken to. I think this year, particularly this summer, when many of the rulings come out, we're going to see a a revert back to very much an interpretation in a very black and white way, mm-hmm. which is good because we need that power to go back to Article One, the legislative branch. That rebalance is going to be key because, again, it was never intended for the Supreme Court to be, you know, basically being the final, you know, they, they don't want to craft legislation and there are very dangerous precedents that are set um, if we continue to allow the executive to run yeah. unfettered. So, well, and I, the, I'm encouraged. Good. Well, for the Constitution to work, everyone has to stay in their mm-hmm. lane, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so that's that's really important. And so, legislators have to legislate. Judges shouldn't legislate, <laughs> but should do the things that they're doing. We don't need any more activists. Yeah, <laughs> activism exactly on the right. bench. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Well. Listen, it's it's an amazing story. Thanks for thanks for being with us Absolutely. and for telling Thank the story. You. Thanks for all you're doing on the Reigns Act and Thank and you. Uh, it's it's I think it's fascinating for people to listen to this show, understand that you're just an ordinary person, right? That got elected to Congress. You're mm-hmm. not you're not a Rockefeller, are you? No, no, I'm not. I'm just cat. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot for being with Thank us. You. you bet. Thank you. You bet. All right. Well, listen, what an inspiring story. And I, I hope that if uh if you can share this story with, you know, that little six-year-old girl, that little six-year-old boy to see, you know what, this is the only country. America is literally the only country where you can have what a Congresswoman Kamek did uh, happen to them, right? Is to grow up as an ordinary citizen. Most countries, if you want to be the leader or you want to be a member of the parliament or the Congress, you have to be born into Uh, those kind of bloodlines. That's not true here in America. This is still the most blessed and greatest country on the face of the earth. Thanks for joining. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com. 